Certainly, if I found out that I was going to be on succession today, I would scream through the streets. I did, I think, scream through the streets when I got the job, but it was because I had just gotten a job. <laughs> it wasn't because I had any preconceived notions about what it was going to be like. I'm Justin Jay. As a photographer, I've gotten to shoot rock stars, hip-hop moguls, world-class athletes, and some other truly extraordinary subjects. I'm fascinated by the backstories and life experiences that help shape these compelling people. The right photograph can reveal quite a lot about someone, but some stories can't be told with just a picture. Sometimes you need to sit down, listen, and dig a little deeper. This is The Plug. For most people, having to speak in front of a large audience is a terrifying proposition. It takes a certain type of individual to choose to do it for a living. So what motivates someone to become an actor? Is it a desire to express themselves? Is it a love of performing for others? Is it ego, fame, or adulation? Today's guest landed her first television role in what would become one of the most popular and critically acclaimed shows on HBO. But her path to become an actor didn't start with the desire to be center of attention. Her love of the craft originated from a sense of community and friendship that being in a theater troupe offered. Working with an extended family of like-minded performers felt magical. In a field that's dominated by huge personalities vying for the spotlight, it's poetic that she ended up as a supporting character on a series with such a tight-knit ensemble cast. Not only did she find the sense of family and camaraderie with her fellow actors, but they all play characters that are obsessed and tormented with family dynamics. So what's it like having a few successful seasons under your belt and suddenly sharing the stage with a rotation of accomplished guest stars all feeling the same anxiety that you experienced on day one, take one? We'll find out as we sit down for a conversation with this lovely and talented rising star whose introductory on-screen role turned out to be a life-changing opportunity. Today, actress, theater lover, and the face behind the quietly confident personal assistant that keeps Kendall Roy afloat, Miss Juliana Canfield. Juliana Canfield, thanks for sitting down. How are you? I'm doing well, Dustin. How are you doing? I'm great. So, um Let's just get into it right away. Um, yeah. I'm such a I'm such a big fan of Succession. It really might be one of my favorite shows of all time. Let's get the plug out of the way at the top of the show. HBO Max, Succession, and you guys just got picked up for the fourth season. season so four. congratulations yeah. on that. Thanks. Yeah. I wasn't totally surprised, but I was still very pleased. Well, so you must be thrilled at how the show is taking off. I mean, has it been a fun ride so far? Yes. First of all, I'm so thrilled. And it was such a fun job to get from, from, from the get. It was the first job that I ever got. So that sort of in and of itself made it feel really special. And then on top of that, I, I, so I'd never been on a show at all. And then I'd never been on a show that got to go to a next season. And I've certainly never been on a show that sort of seemingly overnight turned into this sensation. So it, yeah. it, I mean, it feels like icing on the cake. But even before all the Emmy nominations and all of the sort of hype around it and the endless memeage, <laughs> it was already a pretty, pretty extraordinary experience. 
Has the success of the show brought anything unexpected to your life? I mean, it, it must it must be a really new experience being on a hit show like that. Like, is there anything you didn't expect? Yeah, you know, I think that when I got the job, uh, uh, the character that I played, Jess Jordan, although I think she's very important to the world of the show, or at least the Kendall's world within the show, I sort of, on most shows that I've seen that have a big ensemble cast like that, I might not have paid too much attention to the sort of backgroundy characters. But I think because the show took off in a way, there are people who watch the show like with a microscope and notice everything and everyone. And so that's led to some interesting, like a couple of years ago, there was this journalist who wrote a article on The Ringer about Jess Jordan and what she imagined her life was like and what wondering whether or not she gets paid time off and how she got stuck working for Kendall. Does she like it? Do their politics align? It was like fan fiction or an interview. Totally. Totally. And then I was home the other day for my mom's birthday. We were walking down the street and this like very nice gentleman was like, are you just Jordan on succession? And that was my first time being recognized. Um, oh, that's pretty for special. The show. So that was, that was kind of fun. And you were with your mom too? I was with my mom and she was really tickled by it. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I think the show is such a phenomenon at this point that I think everybody who's a part of it, who's lucky enough to be a part of it. And I really do feel so lucky. Everyone sort of gets a little bit of the sunshine of the genius that is Jesse Armstrong and the amazing lead cast. So you play Jess Jordan. She's assistant to, to, to Kendall Roy. I feel like the assistant boss relationship is so well represented in TV and movies, like Mm -hmm. everything from, Swimming with Sharks, The Devil Wears Prada, mm-hmm. Mad Men, mm-hmm. um, Entourage, mm-hmm. even The Assistant, which ironically you had you had a small role in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they usually fall into these three types of categories. You know, there's like the kind of bored or sarcastic matronly old lady who's been with the boss forever and mm-hmm. she answers the phones, but she never really gets a story arc and doesn't get a lot of lines. There's the subtly sexy vixen, sometimes flirtatious, maybe a little ditzy. And she either has an affair with the boss or Mm -hmm. she is a threat to the boss's wife. Like Mm -hmm. that's her angle. Or there's the assistant who is constantly being berated. And that's a narrative device to kind of establish that the boss is abusive or Mm -hmm. a a mean person. And I think what's so interesting about your character in Succession is it doesn't really fall into any of those categories. They, I mean, he's, Jess is definitely deferential to Kendall, which makes Mm -hmm. sense. That's her boss. He's a very powerful person, but there seems to be like a real mutual respect between the characters. And, you know, she's quietly confident. And there's a great scene in in the season three opener where she had to relay a conversation Mm -hmm. between Kendall and Logan, his father, who is an extremely intimidating character. And she handled herself very well. Like she's extremely capable. And I'm curious how much of that character and how much of that relationship was was built into the script from the beginning? And yeah. how much were you able to develop as, as the show progressed? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I appreciate your saying that she handled that conversation well because I'm watching it and I was thinking, oh my God, she's about to have a nervous breakdown. I, yes, I think she's very good at her job. But I, I think that really I, everything in that character and in my experience on the show, I, I owed to Jeremy Strong, who from the jump just came in so fully 
immersed in his characterization of Kendall that I didn't really have a choice but to sort of like leap in. And I remember on my first day shooting, it was my very first day on set, we were shooting an overnight in a hospital and he was on the phone with Rob Yang's character who owned uh, Volter. And Rob Yang says something snarky and awful and dehumanizing to him. And Kendall hangs up the phone. And in the one of the first take we did, he like threw the phone towards me. He didn't throw it like at me as if he was angry, but he threw it to me. So I had to catch it. And I'm not very coordinated, but I was like, okay, I've got to catch the phone. And I sort of like scrambled. And I think I sort of, you know, hot potatoed it for a second and it didn't hit the ground. And I was like, okay, thank God. But Jeremy throwing the phone at me (laughs) or Kendall throwing it to Jess and my sort of having to be at the ready felt like I was like, okay, this is what it's like to be Kendall's assistant. I just always have to have my hands out. I think from there, it sort of evolved, you know, like he would say something, Jeremy, during a rehearsal or when we were talking about the scene about like a website or a reference point or before we started rolling, I would go on my computer and or on my phone and start looking it up so that if he asked me a question in the scene, I would be able to answer it and, you know, be an assistant to him. But yeah, I think that this is sort of the way I always feel in those scenes. <laughs> and I think that's sort of Hand, hands out, hands out, stress. Yeah. It's like, whatever you're going to throw at me, I it's literally, it's just my job to be able to catch it or to try. But the fact that he, th- he threw it at you, I feel like it speaks to the intensity of his character and the intensity of the, totally. the situation that he is in, yeah. but not necessarily out of malice or disrespect no. for his assistant. Totally. And I, to clarify, I, throwing it at me is sort of the wrong way to put it. He really did throw it towards me. Like, you know, like, oh, God, and like, get this away from me. And it wasn't yeah. like, it wasn't like a, he was trying to help me with the phone or anything. It was a tense situation, but it wasn't, it wasn't mean. Tense situation. No, it wasn't mean. It was him frustrated with Rob Yang's character. And I was just there to catch the baby. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, your character, Jess, is, it's developed a lot since the first season. But, you know, as you talked about before, you were there from the very beginning. Yeah. You know, the TV landscape is, is littered with shows that only ran for one season and went nowhere. And some of them are terrific. Yeah. They just, for whatever reason, couldn't find an audience. But Succession's a massive hit. And I'm wondering, like, in some ways, being there from the beginning, do you feel like you're robbed of your excitement of getting that proverbial big break? Is there something to be said about being invited to be a character on a show that's already a big hit as opposed to being there from its inception and not really knowing what to expect? Yeah, I I mean, I, I think there definitely is. And, you know, like last season, we had Holly Hunter on the show. She was so incredible and Cherry Jones. And I think as the show's gotten more popular and as they found their footing, they're able to bring in like just truly tremendous actors for one or two episodes, three episodes this season coming up this week. Adrian Brody has an amazing guest star. Um, And I think, you know, I talked to some people who were coming onto the show this year and some of them are really experienced, obviously extremely talented actors and I could feel or they would express that they were nervous about being on a show like that. And I think there's a lot of pressure. Everyone's seen that ensemble just cooking with absolute gas and 
I feel really grateful that I didn't have to come into it with all of these expectations or with all of this, uh, you know, self-imposed pressure to live up to it. I sort of like got in, it sort of feels like I got in the side door. So I'm very grateful to that, but I'm a neurotic and anxious person. (laughs) That's interesting. Cause I would have thought, I I get the point I was getting at was, would you have reacted differently if you had gotten the show today as opposed to back then? And and you know what I'm hearing is it and it's it might be a blessing in some way because you you got to start from day one with everybody without the nervousness of having to step into this you know thing. Oh, I mean, yes, certainly. If I found out that I was going to be on Succession today, I would scream through the streets, and and it would be a huge honor, and I would be so excited. But I think there is something to be said for coming in with kind of not many expectations at all and just sort of being like happy to be there. I, I did, I think, scream through the streets when I got the job, but it was because I had just gotten a job. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. because I had any preconceived notions about what it was going to be like. And it's been nice to sort of grow with the show. Yeah. So you actually, you actually did kind of get the proverbial big break, but it's really just because you were a new actress, not because the show, exactly. because the show is a huge exactly. success. Totally. It like totally changed my life. You know, I went for, I, I was doing theater. I did a couple of plays sort of in the middle of doing succession and they were wonderful experiences, but you know, like New York off Broadway theater does not pay that much. And I remember being like, Oh my God, I'm getting paid $900 and I can eat as much food as I want all day. This is unbelievable. Free M&Ms on set. What? I know. I know, which was a problem in the beginning. I remember that first night, I think I had like 12 cups of coffee and like half a loaf of cinnamon raisin toast just because I was like so amazed that there was this endless table of like, but it felt like the buffet in Hook where it's just a magical cornucopia of every food that I was never allowed to eat when I was a kid, just all in one place. Uh, So I have a friend who had a really small role on the show in season two. Oh, who? I'm not going to say. We, wait, till, okay. wait till I tell the rest of the story. Okay. Um, so uh, they had a very small role in the show. And according to them, their their take was that they might have been able to have more of a reoccurring role or it might have developed into a reoccurring character. But they completely did not do their research and they had not seen the show. Or they did not watch season one. Oh, no. And at one point, they were asked to go off script and do a little improv. Uh-huh. And they kept referring to the character Sandy as a she instead of a he. <laughs> Oh no. And like, it just, it makes me cringe even telling the story because we've all been there. We've all been completely remiss in doing our homework and not prepared and, and get completely busted in a very public way and maybe miss an opportunity as a result. Um, But it makes me wonder, you know, how much, how much improv is actually done on the show? And, And is that a, is that a scenario that, that you shine in or do you really prefer to find meaning and, and nuance on the words that are already on the page? I, the, first of all, the script feel, I think when you watch the show, super improvisational, but I think a lot of that has to do with that writer's room and their sensitivity to the ways that those actors speak at this point. And they're just so funny. And it's actually, it's funny because a lot of the writers on the show are British and in the scripts, they're putting question marks all over the place. And one day I remember asking one of the writers, I was like, what's with the question marks? And he was like, that's how Americans talk. You know, it's like the upspeak. So they put all of this very specific, stuttered, unfinished detail into the script. 
But there is also, I think, a fair amount of improv that happens. Usually one of the main directors of the show, Mark Mylod, always does what he calls like the freebie take, where after they've gotten everything that they need, he just lets them kind of run with it. Um, And I think the actors to varying degrees either hop on that or they just stick with what's on the page. They also, the writers love to do, you'll like be in the middle of a scene and then one of the writers will come like dashing through the hall with a little piece of paper with like seven alt lines. And they're like, Hey, so in the next couple of takes, can you just like toss a couple of these in and just like, let's just see what happens. So that's been my experience with it. Mostly I am so impressed by some of the hilarious jokes that some of the actors just pull out of thin air in the middle of the takes. But that being said, I'm very grateful for the script and I prefer that. And how often, I mean, are the producers very, are they open to that? Because I know sometimes there's two things at play. You can have a cast that's very adept at improvising and adding jokes, but Uh sometimes you have producers and writers that are very precious with their material. Yeah. You know, like where on that spectrum is it? Um, I think that the the writers, they like improv. I think they, they invite that sort of texture, even if it's just small bits. Because I think that that's just true to life. And if in the moment you have a response to something, I think they welcome that. I think sometimes they're like, okay, let's just get the scene pretty much intact because there's such a rhythm that's written into it. And I think sometimes if I don't, I've never seen this happen on, on succession, but I think sometimes if people get a little too um, juiced up on their own and probably can sort of steal from the jokes that are already there can upset the, balance of the scene but I've never seen that sort of indulgence happening on the set I think the actors are really comfortable with the writing style and know how to and when to fold something in and then there are those freebies where it feels like they have an opportunity to kind of go off if they have to or want to I think that's a great I think the word indulgence is a great way of describing it because you find sometimes that improv can can veer towards that direction really easily yeah and I think that's what's cool about you know, there's not a lot of long monologues in, in succession. It's very economical in, 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 a, in a great way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very, it's, it's true to life. No one speaks in monologues, you know. Totally. Yeah. And I, I, I was thinking about that the other day, the sort of like structure of television and how there are those moments when you're like in the, in the office late at night. And one of the characters is like, this reminds me yeah. of when my mom sold the house and we moved and we moved and you know it's just like whole expository beautifully written poetic piece of writing and that's just not how most people talk and if they did it would be so annoying but I do think like in episode two this season I think Jeremy has some moments where Kendall's like on a roll but it feels so um that was his episode really I mean that's an episode is that made sense you know Totally. And I, and, and Kendall is like totally manic and like trying and is recruiting. And it, so it just felt so character based and situation based and it didn't feel like an opportunity for a piece of long writing. It felt like it came out of necessity. All this being said, I did do improv comedy in college and I have PTSD from the embarrassment of that. So (laughs) that could also be responsible for my aversion. (laughs) What what's the workflow of the show? And this might be a little bit difficult to answer because you haven't been on yeah. a bunch of different TV shows or different film sets. But yeah. you know, compared to certain TV shows where there's like a real strict timeline, or they may not have the 
the success and therefore the budgets to be able to really explore scenes? Like, do you feel that it's a pretty reasonable workflow? Do you feel like it's rushed? Do you guys do a lot of takes or what's, what's the pacing? Um, I, it's probably changed over time, but I think it, for the most part, it sort of feels like a rose colored glasses, Pollyannish to say, but everybody on that set is so good at their job that there's a certain amount of efficiency that just comes from people operating at the highest level of whatever they're doing. The writing is so good. So there's not a lot of sort of acrobatics that need to happen. The actors are really good and always prepared. So, you know, sometimes there are big days where we're sort of rushing to catch light or whatever, but it it feels like it moves at a good clip, not because it's harried or stressed, but because it's just moving and the camera operators are so good. The DPs have been working with the directors and with the writers for such a long time. And there's a real vocabulary between the DPs and the camera operators. And it just feels well-oiled machine is maybe the wrong word because that to me sort of suggests that it's just like on autopilot and it doesn't feel like that, but it just feels like it feels like a team of horses who are all in step. And so it can just kind of sail along an orchestra. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, there are prob- there have probably been days where maybe I'm not there or I just don't notice because I'm just like, this is so great. I love <laughs> I'm on life. succession. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. How did I get so lucky? But I think for the most part, it, it just goes. Yeah. That's great. So, you know, it seems like sometime maybe around the era when, when the Sopranos first came on the, on TV, mm-hmm. there was these cable TV shows that, that kind of started to operate on two different levels. There was one level where it was a distinct character and narrative arc from the first episode to the, to the last episode. There was a season-long arc, but the episodes still stood on their own. There was like mm-hmm. a theme and a character development within each episode, and you felt complete and you felt satisfied at the end of each episode. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's a lot of shows today that really lean into the serial aspect of things, and mm-hmm. you keep watching not because it's so well written or not because it's so well acted is just because you just, you want to know what happens next week. And it's really like, it's a soap opera disguised as a drama. And it, and it leaves the viewer feeling very unfulfilled. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like eating cotton candy. Like you never actually get a bite of cotton candy. It's just yeah. gone all of a sudden, yeah. you know? And, and I think what's so terrific about succession is that it, there's not a lot of fat and filler on that show. Like at the no. end of every episode, I just, you feel so fulfilled. And, yeah. and I think what proves the point is that, you know, all the people that I know that love the show, no one is sitting around asking like, what's going to happen? Is Logan going to go to jail? Like, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we're yeah. curious, but me personally, I'm not going to invest 11 hours of my life just to find out if Kendall becomes CEO. You know, that's not what the show's about. Right. You think that's a fair assessment? I do. I really do. Um, it is interesting because obviously I, I think in the end that there is an end game and Jesse has talked about this that in order for the show to feel ultimately satisfying there has to be some resolution or answer to the question that the series poses but i think because the characters are so richly drawn and because Jesse and the writers position them against and with each other in such tense and hilarious ways what i watch each episode i'm i'm just interested to see what happens if you put this person and this person into the room with this sort of underlying or overarching issue at hand? 
And it just feels so character driven. Yeah. That's sort of where the strength of it lies. I mean, I, I still do want to know who's going to be the CEO, but. Oh, of, of course, that's an element of it, but that's not why I tune in every week. No, and that's no, not no. why I'll watch. That's not why I'll, you won't rewatch an episode if you're watching strictly to find out what the narrative is, you know? Totally. Uh, that's, that's the mark of a great TV show because I, I will. Have you been it. rewatching? I you have. do? Yeah. Okay. All, all of the seasons or. I've been picking and choosing because, um. <laughs> My wife often falls asleep halfway through. No, no offense. She's just, a, she's a, uh, I'm, I'm team she's falls an early too. riser. Yeah, 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 so we often rewatch it at a more opportune yeah. time, but I'm a night owl. So yeah. I, I usually end up watching things twice. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a mark of a great TV show. If you're watching just to find out what happens next, once you know, you don't care. You don't watch it right. again, you know? Yeah. Then the tension is broken. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what's, you know, a mark of a, of a great TV show for sure. TV producers these days, it's almost like they've cracked the code on compelling TV, not uh, quality TV, but compelling. compelling. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you can watch a show about guys who park cars or people baking bread, you know, and, right. and they make it exciting and you come right. back for more. It's that cotton candy syndrome. But at the same time, like with the, the way it's produced and the musical cues, the way that it's edited, like it's very compelling. You know? Totally. Did you watch uh, White Lotus? I did. Yeah. Well, like with that show, I, I think I loved it. I don't know what your feelings were on it, but I, you know, we, you know, from the jump that someone is going to die, but by like episode two, I didn't care about who was going to die or who was going to kill them or whatever. I just wanted to see Jennifer Coolidge clopping around the resort. Yeah. And the hotel manager that, what was his name? Armand. 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 I want, I wish he has a sh- his own show. It's fantastic. I know he needs character. a spinoff yesterday. He was amazing. But yeah, I totally agree. That was an interesting show too, because it, for me personally, it took, it took a, an episode or two to really figure out the tone. I was like, wait, is this it's uh-huh. funny, but not that funny. Is this a drama? Is it supernatural? Like it just was a really unique feel to it. But interestingly, I thought, I think that that's how people felt about succession in the beginning. I remember I remember being on set the first season and like I would have to leave the room if I wasn't in the scene because I was laughing so hard. I was just like, this is a straight up comedy. I guess it's an hour long comedy. And then I watched it and, you know, like heard this amazing score by Nicholas Bertel, which sort of endows it with all of this drama and 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 tension and solemnity. And people were like, wow, it's so intense. And I was like, guys, are are we talking about the same show? Because the show I shot was a was a comedy. Yeah. And then I watched it and the way that it shot, like the zoom in and zoom out that's kind of jerky, felt like the office kind of to me and the way that the cameras are operating. And I was like, okay, so there's something funny about how it's shot and how it's edited. And the language is funny, but the topic is serious. And it's a show about a corporation, which sort of feels serious. And I think in the beginning, part of what took a little second for everyone to figure out was like, what kind of a show is this? And then at a certain point, people are just like, okay, well, uh, maybe it doesn't really matter. It can be both. Yeah. So interesting. Do you have any, uh, you have any guilty pleasures of what you're watching these days that you, uh, yeah. Um, I'm watching you. (laughs) Have you seen that show? (laughs) Um, only against my will because my wife, (laughs) and I think even she's given up on it at this point. You know, it's a funny I, idea. And she's like, you know, well, the, you know, the third seat, I'm like, third seat, you have like 40 hours deep in this thing already? Yeah, like, well. I'm like halfway through season two and I started the whole thing last week and 
I had to sort of give myself a little break, but it's, that is like, it's very cotton candy, but I think the actors are doing a a great job, but it is very, it's, I mean, it's so ridiculous. It's sort of, you know, like the number of bad things that can happen and the number of close calls are just the stuff of miracles. So, you know, you and I were speaking before the show and I asked you about some of your early memories of, of being an actor and, yeah, I was expecting a story about maybe being on the stage for the first time or the first time you got a reaction from an audience. But, you know, you said something really interesting and you said what meant the most to you is being able to have the sense of community with the mm-hmm. other people in, in, in the play that you were in. And, you know, you and I are both only children, so we're very yeah. well versed at spending time mm-hmm. alone, like often mm-hmm. at home. And I, I thought <laughs> it was so fascinating that what meant the most to you of being an actor was this opportunity to be around a tight-knit group of people and to have this sense of almost like an extended family. And mm-hmm. it just struck me as something I would think is pretty unusual. I would suspect that most actors get into it to either express themselves or yeah. to be the center of attention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, it's inter- I think one's reasons for acting sort of inevitably have to change as time goes on. But yeah, you're completely right. The those I, I think I got interested in doing plays because my friend really liked them and I thought she was really cool and she was very outgoing and funny and I was sort of like this introverted classic only child like head in a book. And I was like, oh God, how do I get out of here? I guess I'll go do a play. And yeah, I, I think being an only child, while it has had for me so many merits because I have lovely parents, so we get along and it's all good. You know, it's whatever I took. I, I Well, when I was young, I used to put, um, may I please have an older brother on my uh, Christmas list. And then I sort of got, got wise to it that that probably wasn't going to happen, uh, at least not an older one. But yeah, I, I just remember being on that set and, and or not set, uh, backstage at the children's Shakespeare production of As You Like It. I was in second grade and we were in this sort of nondescript backstage kind of in my memory, it's quite cavernous, although I was a kid, so it might've been like a pretty small room. And there were like 30 kids in the show and we're all in costumes. There are no desks. They're grownups, but they're kind of like nowhere to be found or no one's paying attention to them. There's no like Snoopy grownups. They're just like kind of in the background. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. exactly. Exactly. Or there's like the director and they're like, come on guys, we're going to go do the play. But it didn't have the same feeling that school did, which was structured and, you know, like sit, sit right there and don't talk to your, to your peers. Like we're learning and it's serious and like da 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 da. And I was just like amazed that a big group of kids could all hang out together and have an experience that sort of felt loosely unsupervised or that felt detached from a world of adult authority. You know, like once we were on stage, it was just, us doing this thing and we could have done anything. And I was so enamored by the, by the band of children. I have referenced Chuck already, but I think it sort of had that feeling to it. Like this little family of all these young people who put something together. So it, 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 yeah. Community felt like 
oh my God, is this what my life would have been like if I had siblings? Yeah. A, I would have been exhausted all the time because I would just like, you know, bounce off the walls for 45 hours. But yeah, it was just so different from school and so different from being at home. It seems really ironic and, and fitting that you're on Succession now, which is yeah. such an ensemble cast. Yeah. I mean, is there a similar through line of the sense of family with your cast members? Yeah, and I think I, I you know, you asked, earlier about how I would feel about joining the show now. And you made great points about how cool that would be, but coming in at the beginning, you know, those were like my first coworkers and they were really pretty good ones to get in on the ground floor with. And, you know, I was a co-star on the show and I didn't have a ton to do. And from the, from the jump, I mean, I, I remember on my first day, Mark was directing Mark Mylod and I went up to him and I was like, hi, Mark. I just want to say, I'm Juliana. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is actually my first job. And so I'm just like so excited and I hope I don't mess up. And thank you so much. And he was like, oh my God, how wonderful. And then I sort of walked away. And then before we did the scene, he was like, everybody, everybody, I just want you to know that this is Juliana and this is her first day on set ever. And everyone like cheered. And I was like, I could not be more embarrassed. There, there's no way that I could be more embarrassed than I am right now. But the sort of great thing that came from it is that everyone was ready to sort of take me under their wing or make me feel included. And there was so much kindness and patience and just gave them an opportunity to be really to, to, to be supportive. Yeah. And they otherwise maybe wouldn't have thought to be. Yeah, maybe. And I, you know, I, in that moment, I was sort of like, Mark, why'd you, why'd you do me like that? But in, in retrospect, I, maybe that that sort of contributed to the immediate sense of welcoming that I found with that group. And then, you know, we would like, we went to England for like a month at the end of the first season. And we had, all of us would have dinner like every night and play poker, like into the wee hours. And, there wasn't much to do. So we'd go to like just random bars and have pints and, you know, <laughs> but it, there was a real convivial sense of a group of people who all wanted to hang out with each other after, after a day of shooting. That's, that's terrific. Well, um, community aside, do you have a pivotal memory when you first started acting that, that you kind of look back to that really informs what you want out of your career or how you, how you respond to other actors? Whoa, a pivotal moment. I mean, I feel like at this point I had probably a couple pivotal moments. When I did that production of As You Like It, there was a talk back after the show. And this is maybe this is where the little ham in Young Juliana comes out. But we did a talk back and someone was asking about the costumes, some of which had been made for the show and some of which had been borrowed from a movie that had just wrapped that was like a period piece about kids. I don't remember what it was. And my costume and my best friend's costume were both from the movie. And our director was explaining that. And then I interjected and I said, and it's because we're the special ones or something like that. And the whole audience laughed. And I was like, oh my God. I remember being like, I can't believe I just made a group of grownups laugh at something I wasn't even, I wasn't even trying to be funny. I, you know, just like bleh, word vomited out. And I was really hooked on that feeling because I think I sort of identified as a shy, sort of bookish, quiet child. And so that that sort of felt like a hook 
It must have been intoxicating. I mean, you remembered it all these years later. Yeah, I know that is pretty. It's, it, I really remember it, and and the and I also just that uh, I I loved being on stage, and I loved the feeling of like the lights being really bright, and then the sort of like nebulous watchers that were out there, which I think sort of protected my uh, overdeveloped sense of embarrassment because it was like I knew that they were there, but I didn't have to really. See them. I couldn't see them, so it, I didn't feel quite so exposed, even though it's just an illusion. <laughs> they could definitely see me, but I was sort of like, oh, can't see them, they can't see me, perfect. I can do whatever, I can twirl around and act like a, an idiot, and I felt very safe doing that on, on stage. Well, what, what other projects, do you have anything else brewing right now, or are you really just like soaking it all in and, and, and kind of just loving being on, on Succession? I'm loving being on Succession. I watch it every week. I, am, I anticipate the show, I think, just as much as the next person, even though I, I do know what happens. But as don't, you don't, said, don't. knowing what happens, <laughs> oh, I would never, I would, uh, there's like no, a course. sniper outside hired by HBO, if I said who would train their weapon on me. But yeah, I'm just, I, I was on another show also called Why the Last Man and that just wrapped up and they're sort of trying to figure out what, if anything, will happen next with it. So fingers crossed on that. And yeah, the life of an actor just sort of doing those self-tapes and crossing my fingers. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. It's such a, such a, a great kind of Cinderella story to get to end up on a show this spectacular. I know. It's really like, so insane it nobody deserves it it's too good to be true <laughs> well here here's your opportunity to kind of pay it forward we, we always like to end the show by asking the guests to plug something other than a project that they're involved with that they feel isn't really getting enough attention whether it's like a book or a movie or a, a, a cause oh my god something something you want to plug just to kind of give some shine to that it may not be getting enough attention um i don't know how much attention it's getting but there's a play that's going to be um, opening on Broadway in a couple of weeks called Clyde by Lynn Nottage. It's her new play, and it's a story about a sandwich shop that's run by ex-convicts and sort of looking at the the way that our country fails to or succeeds in rehabilitating people who have made mistakes. And I think it's an incredible play. And Lynn is, you know, one of the great playwrights, and she has made a concerted effort to make affordable tickets available so that anybody can come and see it. Um, I think they're like $30 tickets and $40 tickets, which if you've been to a Broadway show, you know, that's kind of unusual. So I would say um, get your tickets for Clyde. Cool. All right. Well, we will be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much for taking time to sit down. Um, I'm just as excited to, to watch the show as you are. And, and congratulations, season four. And um, I'm so happy for you. What a, a great story. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And a huge thanks to today's guest for dropping in. If you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and take a minute to rate, review, follow, or subscribe. This episode of The Plug was executive produced by Ryan Bucci and Peter Buckingham. Theme music by Andrew Van Weingarten and Dan Drohan, with sound design by Brad Worrell at Soundwag. Thanks again, and be sure to tune in for future conversations.
And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.